everybody, this is Saturday Epic here, and welcome to That Comic Show. This is a new podcast I am doing, where we talk all and everything comics and or adaptation related, which means I cover mainly the comics, but I will also go into TV shows, movies, whatever other kind of adaptations there may be, uh, anything comic related at all. So, like... Like, say, Disney Plus TV shows or Warner Bros. exclusives. Any of those shows, any movies that come out, we will also cover those on this show. But we are mainly going to talk comics on this podcast. Um, If you don't know me, my name is RJ Epic. Um, This uh, is something new for me, this podcast. Um, I have a YouTube channel I have done for seven years now as of this year, um, not the most successful channel or anything, but I've had fun doing it, uh, I'm planning to hopefully upload these on there, but we'll see how that goes, uh, at the very least, these episodes will be going up on Anchor for now, which is where I'm recording this from, so, yeah, I'm hoping to just get this, uh, podcast out there in more platforms as well, um, maybe Spotify and iTunes, we will see though, um, anyways, we're here to talk comics, um, each episode I'm gonna bring in different topics, there will be some, um, there will be some common subjects, there will be some common segments that are weekly slash episodic segments, I'm planning to do the show, uh, as a weekly format, when I'm recording this, it is early morning Saturday, uh, it is early in the a.m. It's actually about to be 3 a.m. in the morning, and I am recording this. Uh, I am hoping to make this a weekly thing, so if I go weekly from now, that means you will get an episode every Saturday. There may be bonus episodes um, that come out in between. We will see. I'm debating, I'm debating just kind of... I'm debating doing an extra episode this week just to get things going a little bit, but we will see. Um, today, today, um, the introduction episode, I have some interesting things to talk to you guys about. Um, in terms of topics we have, I'm going to introduce a couple of the weekly slash episodic segments. Uh, we're going to talk about what I'm reading, which is where I go into what I've read over the last week. Um, we are going to talk about, we're going to have a, our comic suggestion of the week. Every episode I will suggest a comic and I will tell you, um, I will, I will, um, talk to you guys about the title, explain what it's about, uh, who does it. And I will go into why I think you should buy it or why and why I enjoy it so much. Um, it's pretty much a recommendation segment, um, to hopefully get some new people on the titles that I love to read. Um, so we will have those two segments. We will also today, um, this episode, this pilot episode, premiere episode, is um, called The Perfect Jumping On Point. So we are going to talk, I we I have a segment built into the uh, title of this video. We're going to talk about the jumping on point in uh, we're going to talk about the jumping on point in comics and why the jumping on point is important in comics. 
And then for our main event of the evening, um, at the very tail end of this episode, uh, which I'm putting this at the end on purpose, um, it is the Black Widow movie review. Um, so I'm gonna talk about the movie first. I'm gonna try to do a spoiler free. I'm gonna try to do a spoiler free review. Then I'm gonna go into spoilers. So this is why I'm putting it at the end, so you can skip. Um, you can either watch the non-spoiler part and then skip, or you can completely skip the end if you don't want to hear anything at all about the Black Widow movie. Um, because I know if I hadn't seen it yet, I would want to hear as little as possible. I'm not a big fan of spoilers, but I always get spoiled to the things I want to watch, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but I was shocked to have, to have gotten to... I was shocked to have gotten to watch Black Widow so soon, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about it. I have no clue how long these episodes will run. It will probably depend by the week. Um, I'm kind of hoping to make them pretty long form. Um, with this episode, uh, with this episode, I want at least half an hour. Personally, I would like 45 minutes to an hour at least for each episode, but we will see. Um, I'm going to try to drag things out and make sure I actually do talk topics a, a lot, um, for a while. Sorry about all the stuttering stuff. This is my first time. I'm going to be a little awkward at first. Um, I've tried a few takes actually getting the intro down. Um, I'm not completely used to long-form talking, so this is going to be different. Um, the cool thing about this podcast is I'm going to have little um, transition uh, sound effects between each segment since uh, it, Anchor makes that uh, easy to do with their service so yeah anyways um now that i have teased you guys with the, to- with the topics going forward i think we're gonna go transition into what i'm reading we are back and we're gonna talk about the comics that i have read throughout this last week and i am gonna be honest with you guys right away i have read a lot and while doing this weekly slash episodic segment, I'm really going to try to do this show weekly. I really do mean that. I want this show to be a big deal, and I'm treating it, trying to treat it like it's important. So far, it's been going pretty well. Um, I am going to keep track and keep in stacks what I read weekly so I can run through with you guys. Didn't work out the best this week, but that's okay. I got it all sorted out. We're going to talk about everything that I have read this week, and we're going to talk about them in alphabetical order. Um, A lot of it was just finishing, actually all of it was just finishing stuff off that I had previously started, which is probably what's going to happen a lot. I will tell you, though, what issues I actually read and everything. I might do quick overviews of the title, depending on the situation, but we will see. Um, this time, probably most times, I'm going to run through the titles in alphabetical order. We will see. This time, I'm definitely running through the titles in alphabetical order. So, we're going to start off with The Amazing Mary Jane. And for The Amazing Mary Jane, I read the last four issues this week, so I had only read the first two issues. Um, if you don't know, the, Ma- the Amazing Mary Jane had six issues in print, and I believe it went to something like 10 or 12 with the digital issues. Um, I really enjoyed The Amazing Mary Jane. Um, the Amazing Mary Jane was written by Le- Leah, Re- Leah Williams, who is an up-and-coming writer at Marvel. She's been doing a good job on all the titles I've read with her name on it. Carlos Gomez 
was the artist on the title. He um has he's very consistent artist. He's very good. I don't think Carlos Gomez gets enough credit for his work, personally. Personally, I don't think Carlos Gomez gets enough credit, but that might just be me. Um, very good. So Mary Jane um, went to Hollywood to try to become an actress more full-time, and it turns out Mysterio um, is uh, pretending to be the director that is making the movie that happens to be about Mysterio. Um, with the rogues gallery of Spider-Man involved, um, in terms of casting and Spider-Man and blah, blah, blah. Mary Jane plays a character. It's, it's pretty great. It's a really fun read. The, um, bad part about this is because it got cut off by the pandemic and only got to issue six. Issue six was the start of the second arc and it leaves on a huge cliffhanger. And then the issues went out of print. So now I'm left with a big cliffhanger and it's kind of upsetting. But like I said, really fun read this title was. Uh, the the ending is annoying since I can't actually get a good conclusion out of it unless I read it digitally. Um, very good work. Very fun read. Um, I read it over like a couple weeks, I think. Um, I put it off for a long time. A lot of the stuff that I'm reading now is has come out a long time ago. I have a very bad comic addiction i pick up a lot of titles i've actually cut down on some recently um i know you guys don't really know me much so far since it's a new part podcast and know my comic situation i have read a lot of titles for years now and uh i'm at the point now i'm actually trying to calm down um but also I very much love comics, and that's probably that's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm trying. I uh, want to delve into my love for comics, my love and passion. So I think I've talked enough about the Amazing Mary Jane. Um, I would definitely would recommend the title, although I kind of wouldn't. I would recommend getting the first five issues, and I would not get the sixth issue because you'll probably just end up annoyed like me. But yeah, I wish it got more issues this title um next i finished off the marvel avengers uh one shots that were tie-ins to the video game these came out shortly before the video game did the video game of which i've still not played that much of even though i bought it when it came out um so i read the first i read the captain america one and i read then i read the black then i read the black widow one i only had the last two to read so it was the captain america then black widow ones um, we had, I don't know who the writer is, but their last name's Allure. Uh, we got George's Jaunty on art, who is a half-decent artist. Um, it was, uh, it was honestly probably the weakest of the Marvel's Avengers one-shots, quite honestly. I, I kind of just trudged through it. Um, it wasn't really intriguing whatsoever. I mean, cool to see Batroc, I guess, but it wasn't. It wasn't much of anything. The Black Widow one-shot, on the other hand, was by far, in my opinion, the best one. I may be a little biased, though, because as you'll find out more when I talk about the Black Widow movie, I love Black Widow. Um, and I will go into how much I love Black Widow uh, in terms of where I put her on my favorites list later on in the episode. Um, but 
The Black Widow one-shot, written by Christos Gage, an underappreciated writer in my opinion, with art by Bandini, I think Michelle Bandini or something, or something like that. Bandini is a pretty good artist. Has a very intriguing story, a nice uh, twist on Taskmaster in the uh, video game universe is pretty cool. Speaking of twist on Taskmaster, stay tuned for the Black Widow review. Um, yeah, I mean, these one-shots are, these one-shots were fine. I, the Black Widow one really was my favorite, though. If you don't know about these one-shots, there was also an Iron Man, Hulk, and Thor one. So, yeah. Moving on now, we had the Future Foundation. Next, I finished off Future Foundation, written by Jeremy Whitley. Uh, art by Robson, um, I forget their first name, and then there was another guy on art, who I forget their name. Um, I read the last three issues, so issues three to five. I had read one and two previously. This was a fun title. Yet another title um, that would have been better if it had more issues because it was supposed to be an ongoing, but it didn't sell enough, so they canceled it at issue five, which was very disappointing. I actually really enjoyed this title. This title had potential. Um, there's really a lot of unresolved shit with this, um, title, which is sad to say. Um, and part of me, I am gonna curse every so often, probably. That's just who I am. I, um, I'm gonna make sure to mark, uh, the content as, uh, not clean before I post. But yeah, Future Foundation was really good. Had a pretty good cast of characters. Um, you really kind of have to like, um, you kind of have to like the, uh, the side cast of the Fantastic Four to get into this. Um, although two of the main kids in this are the two oldest kids from Power Pack, Julie Power and Alex Powers. Alex Powers is the leader of the Future Foundation, and Julie has just um, joined them after some hardships. She dropped out of college or university, whichever one, her post-secondary she dropped out of, and she had just, um, her, her and her girlfriend had a fallen out, which is Nico Minuro from The Runaways, I believe. Um, I don't read Runaways, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, I believe that's correct, but don't quote me. Um, this was a very fun title. There's some twists along the way that at first are a little poorly explained, but then are better explained. Um, um, there is the reintroduction of Ricky Barnes, uh, which is actually one of the most fun parts about this series, in my opinion, and I hope that's a character I see more of in the future. Um, I would, I, I would recommend the Future Foundation title, but not too hard. I would recommend it if you have previous interactions with any of the Future Foundation characters. Or the characters I just mentioned, like the Power Pack characters. If you like those characters, this is a fun little re read. And it was only five issues. If you can find the trader there, I don't even honestly know. I think they printed a trade for this. It's a fun little read. Personally, I think it should have more issues. I'm going to move on now. We're going to talk about future states. Um, DC's future states. I read the February releases and the 1 March release. Uh, which was the Superman vs. Imperius Lex uh, conclude, conclude an issue of issue number three. There was a lot of good stuff in Future State. I'm not going to delve into Future State in this episode. Um, that will be left for another day, which we will talk more about later on. Um, 
I'm not going to delve into each individual series or anything right now. I will say, overall, I enjoyed the Future State project quite a bit, That uh, which was a bit of a lead-up to Infinite Frontier, which is the direction that the DC Universe is in now. Um, I've been reading a lot of DC lately, and I've been enjoying it a lot. DC has almost become my primary company as of late, which is very weird because Marvel has always been my primary company. Um... And DC is all of a sudden coming out of nowhere and kind of taking over. Um, I still love Marvel a little bit more. I love them both. Um, but I've always favored Marvel a little bit. But DC has been putting out some pretty damn good stuff as of late. I'm very excited to jump into all the Infinite Frontier related stuff. And I can't wait to see how that goes. And I'm not going to talk about Future State anymore because that is best left for another day. Next, um, I finished off the first volume of Jane Foster Valkyrie from Jason Aaron. And the last three issues is what I read this week, so 7 through 10. And this is when um, this is when Gronbeck uh, joined as the co-writer. Uh, Rosanas was on art. Uh, this was a really cool story. The anti-life uh, uh, became a big deal here. Um, honestly, issue like or issues 8 through 10 is what I meant to say, well, not 7 through 10. Issue 8, I kind of read when I wasn't fully paying attention, so I kind of judged through it a little bit, but it was still really good. Um, Jane Foster Valkyrie, and if, when Jane uh, is, uh, it was, has been a really good title, I can't wait to read The King of Black Time, then Return of the Valkyries, or whatever it's called. No, Mighty Valkyries, that's what it's called. I can't wait to read more of the, uh, more Valkyrie titles. Jason Aaron, I love, we will talk about this more throughout this podcast as it goes along. Jason Aaron's Thor run was one, is one of my favorite comic runs that I've ever read. It is absolutely in my top either five or three. Brilliant run that was. Um, I have all of it besides the original Sin stuff. The original Sun story with Thor and Loki that introduced Angela. That's the only thing I don't have from that whole Jason Aaron run that was seven, seven and a half years. Um, and it was it was so good. And of course, this um, that Jason Aaron left that, but he did not leave Jane Foster. And Jane Foster, since War of the Realms, has become the Valkyrie. And I have still been enjoying Jason Aaron's writing of Jane Foster. It's been really good. The art that started in the first arc of this, um, in this volume of Valkyrie was beautiful. Chef's kiss. It was beautiful. And if it had that art the whole time, it probably would have been better. But the art never really got bad. It just wasn't as good as it started. Um, I highly recommend Valkyrie. You know what? I'm going to go further than that. I highly recommend you read anything Jason Aaron has written that is the Thor or Norse mythology mythos related because um, it is brilliant stuff. The last title that I read this week I read issues 3 through 6 of this. I read The the Weatherman Volume 2 issues 3 through 6 I finished that off. Um, this is a title from Image Comics and it is written by Jody Lehep and art is by Nathan Fox not not incredibly well-known names, but this is the second volume of the title. Each volume has had six issues so far. There is supposed to be a volume three coming at some point, yet to be determined. 
it was supposed to come in last out last year, I think, before the whole pandemic stuff happened. So the title's just been pushed back and pushed back. I'm very excited for volume three. It's supposed to be the concluding the concluding volume of the series. And now if they're finishing volume two, I can't wait for volume three to come out. Very good series. There's some there's some um there's some pretty big twists in this title. Um pretty good writing. Um Honestly, I think the thing that pulls me in the most about this title is the relatively unknown art of Nathan Fox. Nathan Fox has some pretty good art. Um, this is just a good... This creative team seems to mesh together quite well. This is not an image title that has stood out over the last few years a lot. Um, and honestly, I, I was divided on even pick this one up at first. But I am so happy that I decided to pick this up because it has been a good read. And I really... I definitely recommend it. I don't think enough people are reading The Weatherman. Um, the Weatherman has one of the best first issues I've ever read of any title I read, and that's not an over-exaggeration. The first issue of the first volume of The Weatherman is brilliant. It really pulls you in. Um, has a bit of a, it has a lot of a John Wick moment. Um, I haven't even watched the John Wick moments, but you'll know what I mean um, if you have and if you read the issue. There's a big John Wick moment in there. Um, so, uh, so to, to round up what I'm saying, The Weatherman, great title, it may be a comic spotlight down the line, I'm not going to talk about it too much more, I, it definitely, definitely enjoyable, I recommend it, but I might talk about it more in every day. I'm not going to go into the synopsis or what it's about or anything. You'll have to find that out for yourself or you have to wait for a uh, episode where it's the comic spotlight. Anyways, we're going to transition over to where I talk about the jumping on point in comics. The jumping on point in comics is a interesting topic to talk about. It's probably not one that most people would jump into, especially on the first episode of a podcast like this. But with the title being what it is about, this being the perfect jumping on point, because as I will get into more, this is a number one, and the best jumping on point is always the number one, but it's not necessarily the only jumping on point which is the beauty of comics um i felt like i had to talk about it with the title being what it is and honestly i don't really hear people talking much at least these days about jumping on points in comics probably half of the reason for that is because a lot of titles sometimes don't make it to many jump jumping on points to be had in the comics a lot of titles these days don't run past a first or second volume a first or second arc shall i say um if you don't know what the jumping on point is well i feel like you should jumping on point in comic books is pretty much um a new story arc begins and it is the perfect time for you to jump into that title so say a story arc is four issues long that would mean the fifth issue is the issue that's starts the next story arc that is your jumping on point if you want to jump in the t- into the title because you've heard good things and you want to start collecting the single issues maybe you have the first volume uh and you want to get the single issues from now on you get that fifth issue that's the perfect jumping on point for you you can jump into the story and read it monthly by weekly however the title comes out um 
a lot of story arcs these days are four or five or six issues long. Some, every so often, there's a, like, 12-issue story arc. Um, it really does depend on the title. Sometimes there's only a two or three-issue story arc. Those can get weird or those can be beautiful. Sometimes a three-issue story arc can be perfect depending on the setting. Um, of course, the best jumping on point for any title is the number one but it's not really a jumping on point that's just where the title begins um some people trade away their titles um so they get the trades and then so often you trade weight and you want to jump into a title say it's like issue say it's a five issue arc uh and it's it's five issue arcs and issue 16 is coming out the fourth arc star and you've read the first three arcs all in trade paperback form but you're like i want to read this title monthly because it is so damn good you get that 16th issue that is that is your jumping on point into the comic that is your entry into the world of that title and it's very important um jumping on points were at their most noted during the Marvel Now point of time, which was from 2011 to 2015. Uh, Marvel, uh, the original Marvel Now happened then. That's when Marvel had all the red, uh, the red label stuff, and they would have the number ones in their corners. And this did run for all new, all different Marvel and stuff. This ran through Marvel for for a long time. Um, they would have the big red number ones in their corners. Um, and sometimes they just meant it was the number one issue. But a lot of the time, that number one on the corner meant it was the first part of a story. And that's where you should jump in if you're a new reader who wants to get the title. Because uh, you missed the boat previously, but you've been looking to jump in because you've heard good things about it. DC also did this really well for a while uh, when DC Rebirth started. Where they had the titles of their story arcs at the top of their comics which is a period i was not reading a lot or any dc but i wish i had been because their their layout for rebirth was brilliant i thought i really loved when they had the story arc titles at the top so you could see it would say um it would say when the arc began and then when it was just um an in-between issue where the arc was continuing it would have the story arc name and that was the sign it was continuing then it would also say when an arc concluded at least a lot of the time it would and then you would have the part one of the next arc they really did a good job um at the start of rebirth of telling you um when was it the time to jump in or not and i appreciated that even though i did not read like any dc at the time which is a sad fact i just read so much marvel at the time and some independence um i could not afford to get any dc and Sometimes I wish I had stayed in that direction, but at the end of the day, I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad I have more DC. I'm glad I have more DC in my life than I used to, because I really used to disregard DC way too much. But yes, um, jumping on points became a more of a deal in modern comics than they used to be. Um, I guess because probably because readership is more difficult to keep up in the modern era either that or it's 
become or a combination of the fact that it seem it's has seemed to become easier for a title to get cancelled these days. Titles are getting cancelled left and right these days half the time. Especially especially for Marvel, quite honestly. They are the most notorious at canceling titles. There is so many Marvel titles that don't make it past the first or second arc and it is really sad a lot of the time. So a lot of those titles some of the uh, a lot of the time those titles that get cancelled early on are actually possibly some of the better titles but not enough people read them because there's so much there's so much on the go in comics these days it's it's hard sometimes it is hard to put stuff out there a newer a newer property a not as well known property it is hard to put that property out there and get people to jump on but yes, um, I feel like we have covered the jumping on point pretty well. Um, but I, I guess not a jumping on point. Um, well, I've talked about it in the context of a story arc. Sometimes the best jumping on point is is I, sometimes these days um, a title will relaunch when there's a new creative team. But sometimes titles will continue, and then you have the perfect jumping on point to a title. Um, DC is the best of this with some of their long some of the big number ones like Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Detective Action. The sometimes the best jumping on points is when a new creative team comes on to the title and the title still continues at the numbers it's at. But sometimes the um that is the best jumping on point. Sometimes when a new creative team comes on board, I know a lot of DC titles recently um got new creative teams because of the Infinite Frontier, the New Direction, like Justice League issue number fifty nine. Brian Michael Bendis took over the writing duties. Um, that's the perfect example. If you hadn't been reading Justice League, but you're like, I'm a huge Michael, My- uh, Brian, My- I'm a huge, I almost said Michael Myers. If you're, I haven't been reading Justice League, but oh, Brian Michael Bendis is writing. I like Bendis. I know some of his works from the past. Jessica Jones, Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, I could go on and on. I'm a huge Bendis fan, by the way. Um, this is why I'm using him as, as an example. Um, I'm a huge Brian Michael Bendis fan. He's also got <laughs> he's got Marquez on art um I think I'm gonna jump into Justice League plus it's got a cool it's got a cool cast uh, it's got a cool uh new Justice League it's not just the Justice League they've been using for a while now um they've got new members on it like Green Arrow and Black Canary and Naomi um Hippolytia um yeah or um Detective Comics we've got a new creative team Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora, um, that's I've heard good things about. Haven't got to read it yet. Uh, I haven't started any Infinite Frontier stuff yet. But yeah, um, or even soon, uh, Nick Spencer's last issue of Amazing Spider-Man is coming up in September. So I'm sure uh, in October there will be a new Amazing Spider-Man writer and hopefully an artist that sticks around for a little while. But we'll see about that. Uh, and we will, um, that will be the best jumping on point. They, I don't know, they'll probably launch it with new number one, we will see. But in legacy numbers, it will be issue number eight seven eight seventy six, And that will be the good jumping on point for Amazing Spider-Man. Now I think we have covered the jumping on point in comics better. And now I'm going to roll over to my comic suggestion of the week. Where I talk about, where I talk and explain a title that I think that a title that I love and I think that you should read.
It's comic spotlight time, and this is the segment of the episode and of every episode where I talk to you about a comic I highly enjoy and in a lot of cases love, and I ex- I talk to you about what it's about, who does the title, who is the publisher, and why I think you should read the title. Today, in our first comic spotlight ever, in the first episode of that comic show, we are going to talk about Something is Killing the Children. A lot of you probably know this name. A lot of you probably know this title or have heard of this title. It is a big deal in terms of independent comics. And yes, I did make the choice of going with an independent comic for this first episode. No Marvel or DC today. This comic, Something is Killing the Children, is done is published by Boom Studios. One of my favorite independent publishers, actually my second favorite after Image Comics, and then I would say my third favorite is uh, AWA Artists, Writers, and Artisans Inc., um, who's debuted who debuted last year, um, but today, something is calling the children as their comics spotlight. Very awesome title, which a lot of you, if anybody that is listening to this podcast has read it, you probably agree how awesome it is. Something is Killing the Children was just picked up for an a for a Netflix adaptation by a, a group uh by a duo I think it is that did another comics related adaptation recently. Um I forget the exact details. I should probably know that and I apologize. I forget the exact details. So now um something is calling the children is already been very hot but now there's probably about to be another level of hype added on top since it is getting a netflix adaptation and it was only a matter of time it was only a matter of time quite honestly before something is called and children got an adaptation um if you don't know what the deal with the title is first of all i will tell you who does it I already explained who the publisher was, Boom Studios. It is written by the ever-brilliant James Tinian IV, who is one of my personal favorite writers going today. He is a brilliant writer. Um, and the art is done by Weather Del Deldera or Del um, Weather Del Del Adera. Sorry, um, I'm trying to think of how to say their name. Um, I recommend you go search it inside for yourself, and I apologize for butchering the name. Um, they are not the traditional art style that I would like, uh, necessarily, but in terms of the frame of this series, the art by weather, I'm just going to call them by the first name because I can't say the last name, the art by weather is um or it might be Werther. It's probably Werther Deladera. I think it's Werther Deladera is how you say their name. Um so Werther, um the art by Werther is very very gr- is is actually great in the frame of this title. Well I personally would probably not be the biggest fan of the art style normally. It works perfectly for the uh grittiness and um the grittiness in thriller and horrific series that is something that's killing the children. Um, and if you don't know the premise of something that's killing the children, which is what I'm here to explain, uh, 
It is it is about a monster hunter named Erica Slaughter um who has come to the who has come to the city of who has come to the city that has become uh that has become overrun with some monsters. Um she just shows up. She people think she's the one that's been there's been an epidemic in the in the town where there's kids being killed and people think people don't think it's this these supernatural creatures, these monsters that adults can't see and only children can see. Um they think it's a lot at first they think it's Erica Slaughter herself, the main character. Um she also Erica meets this boy named James who kind of becomes her sidekick throughout the story. Um to help her take down the monsters. We meet some other side characters, it's really fun. Um actually spoiler um one of these one of the side characters we do meet who I can't even remember the name, so it's not the biggest spoiler. I read this title like a, I read this about a month ago. Um for frame of reference, I've read the first fifteen issues and it has now had issues sixteen and seventeen come out that I haven't got to read yet. Uh the first fifteen issues are, are the first three arcs and they have five issue arcs. So one to five is the first arc, six through ten is the second, eleven through fifteen is the third. Those are the ones I've read. Um very good. One of these side characters ends up taking the fall for everything, because otherwise, um, the other, uh, the other members of the House of Slaughter, which is what the Monster Hunter Clan is called, um, would come out, and would have killed the residents of this town to keep everything more hidden, but they had to all, they had kind of all came to a consensus, 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 and one of the side characters that we kind of came to like. Um, had to take the fall. Um, this is a very good title. Um, more about the House of Slaughter. Uh, Erica Slaughter um, is actually not born into the House of Slaughter. She is an orphan. We get teases. Uh, we the current arc going the fourth arc is actually goes into her origins and backstory more than we've been told so far in the first 15 issues but i haven't got to read that yet at all and it's not fully out yet anyway but we do know so far from the first 15 issues that she isn't well she was orphaned as a child and she was picked up by one of the members of the house of slaughter and was sworn in and has been dedicated to the cause but she is actually one of the more reasonable and um one of the more reasonable members of the house of slaughter and stands up for what's right and the fact that she wants as little people to die as possible and she sticks up for saving the residents of the um of the town when the other members are ready to kill um to keep the secrets alive um so there is also some tension within the house of slaughter built because of all that and um it's it's really it it really is a brilliant title um the, this is one of the best independent comics going um boom studios has been putting out a, a good chunk of quality stuff for the last couple years or so now um i like to read a lot of their work um they've had a good chunk of adaptations too i mean a lot of comic publishers are getting adaptations now um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that um, has actually been released yet in terms of boom adaptations that a lot of people know. If there is, I can't think of it currently. 
There probably is, almost certainly, but I can't think of it. James Tinian, the writer of this title, is a guy who's doing a lot in the comics world right now. Uh, another title he does for Boom, which is actually an all-ages title, while Something is Killing the Children is very much a mature title. Um, we have Wind from Boom, which is, like I said, for all ages, which is currently in its second arc. I haven't got to read the first arc yet, or just, I haven't got to read any of it yet. I'm excited to jump into that. We have Department of Truth from Image Comics. Um, trying to think if there's any independence. I know he does his own magazine that you can't get normally, except that you have to get it from their exclusive shop. Um... He has been doing a lot for DC Comics. He was writing Justice League Dark when it came back for um, for Rebirth. Um, and he wrote the first 19, 20 issues of that, I think it was. And that was really brilliant. Ram V took over, and he's done a pretty good job with it, too, quite honestly. Um, he is the current writer of Batman, which was by which was by Weekly for a while until Infant Frontier. Now it is a monthly title. And well, since it is monthly now, he also has the room to write a Joker title, which has a back cup story in it for a new character he introduced in the pages of his Batman run called Punchline, which is kind of a um, kind of a um, a uh, carbon copy of Harley Quinn in a way, but it is done very well. James Tinian, um, like I've already said, is is one of my favorite writers out there he was also a big component uh helping scott snyder uh, on the on his justice league run and a big component in helping bring the death metal event together that happened last year um james tinian um has had his name on a lot of stuff um is what i'm getting at and he's a very good writer comic spotlight something that's going to children uh, I really believe if you haven't read this title, please go out and get it. The easiest way for you to get it is going to be by trade paperback. And honestly, might be the best way. Um, In September or October, I believe it is, there's these beautiful hardcovers uh, coming out. Uh, hardcover volume 1. There's a slipcase edition that's limited to one printing. And the regular versions of just the hardcover coming. And this reprints the first 15 issues. That would be a cool way to get it. I know, even though I have the single issues, including the cover A, I've I've got the cover A of each issue, and I also got the little Comic Shop Day foil cover of the number one as well, but I'm still, even though I have the single issues, I'm still picking up a slipcase edition of the hardcover, since it's limited to one printing, and um, I, I just wanted to read it, I just wanted to read it easier and not have to go through my issues in it, and just in case I ever want to sell the issues too, and whatever, so yeah, I recommend getting trade paperbacks or getting the hardcover that's coming. See me. Another approach is you can get the first three volumes in trade or get the hardcover when that comes out since the first 15 issues is three arcs. And then um, you can jump in at issue 16. Issue 16 and 17 are still pretty much selling for cover price if you can find them in comic shops. So um, you can jump in at the fourth arc, which is the backstory slash origin arc for Erica Slaughter. So that is actually a probably as good of a jumping on point as an indie title like something that show is it's like something that's going to show that's going to get 16 issue 16 is actually probably a pretty good jumping on point so if you want the single issues that would probably be the point to jump in uh funny we're talking about jumping on points again after a lot uh, the last segment uh there um but yeah um i can't recommend the title enough if you can find the issues and get them at good prices 
research just look into how the issues are have shot up a lot of the issues are going for a lot more now the at a high the cover a at a high on one of the reliable sources they use $625 I'm debating selling that currently um I could use some money we'll see um I'll probably talk about that on the show too if I sell some stuff um but if you can find all the issues even if they're the cheapest versions of the cheapest covers for, uh, for the cheapest printings and whatever if you can get all these single issues that'd be cool but you're really gonna have your best bet if you go in the trade route or the hardcover route um just know if you do go the hardcover route it'll probably be a little it'll probably be a while before the second one comes out i'm the i'm guessing they're gonna do it by 15 issue fans i it's hard to say how long something that's killing the children is actually gonna run though because it's an ongoing it's incredibly popular now getting an adaptation so i'm sure it has a pretty good run in it hopefully i i, I definitely hope it does so, and something is killing the children has personally become one of those titles for me that will never get cut off my pull list even though i've tried to cut out titles so you probably you guys will probably continue to hear me talk about something is killed killing the children on this show as it goes on anyway i think we've talked enough about something is killing the children for this episode so i'm going to move on from this comic spotlight and we're going to move into the main events as one might say of the episode and we're going to talk about the black widow movie um (laughs) a movie i've been waiting for for a long time which i will talk more about in the next segment anyway on we go first non-spoiler and then i will move into some spoiler i will warn you before i go into spoilers though on to Black Widow. It is now time for your main event of the evening. That is right. We are here to talk about the Black Widow movie. By of course none other than Marvel Studios. Because it's a Marvel property. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin with Black Widow. I actually do know where to begin so a little background on my history and my love for black widow black widow is my favorite female comic book character no lie and has been for years now whenever a black widow title comes out i pick it up i don't care who's writing it i don't care who's drawing it i couldn't care less black widow title comes up i'm picking it up um if I find black, if I find back issues to a Black Widow title, I'll pick them up. Fuck, um, I picked up a old Marvel Max. I picked up an old Marvel Knights Black Widow title that was like six issues long. That was like one of the late later ones that they did, <laughs> with no context, much of context of the previous stuff, just because it was an all right price and because it was Black Widow. Um, Black Widow, my favorite female comic book character. She would probably rank. God, that's hard. There is gonna be a future episode where I talk more about my favorite characters, and possibly rank in like a top ten, or top twenty. Um. She ranks possibly as high as my third favorite. 
uh, character in general. But I'm not going to commit to that right now. Um, but that's just giving you a, an idea of how much I love Black Widow. Uh, another clue is to how excited I was to see this movie is I've been waiting for this uh, solo Black Widow movie since around when Avengers came out. I have wanted a solo Black Widow movie for like 10 years now. And we finally got it. And you know what? Arguably, probably a lot of people will say it could have been better. I thought it was a great movie, personally. I highly enjoyed it. Could have probably been done differently in a better way. Probably not the best way it was done. I I think it was a great direction for the film. Um, I'm going to do some quick non-spoiler points about the movie and say what was great without giving anything away that wasn't given away in the trailers. And then I'm going to talk about spoilers. Um, The timeline of the movie which we'll talk about more. I personally like where when the uh, movie was set in terms of the timeline. Uh, the cast was brilliant. The big standout of the cast being Florence Pugh as um, Yel- Yelena Belova. Um, I don't know if she technically has the last name Belova. I, they, they mainly they like just call her Yelena from what I remember. Um, but that's who she's playing from the comic books. That was a great adaptation of the character. The dry humor from that character was fantastic. Um, Red Guardian was good. The mother character, um, meh, take take her or leave her really. Uh, she played her part. She played it good enough. Wasn't really standout though. Um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name who played Red Guardian. Um, it's the guy from Stranger Things um, who plays the uh, sheriff or deputy or whatever. Very good. Did very good in his role as well. Definitely wanted to smack the shit out of him, which which was the goal of the character in the old early going. Is um he wasn't very likable, but played that very well. One of the other standouts of this movie was the fucking soundtrack. Was the soundtrack was great. The first two songs you get in the movie, awesome, awesome. Um. I'll kind of talk about that more in the spoiler. Um, I just don't want to like give anything away that could be counted as a spoiler until I go into the spoiler section. So we'll save that a bit more. Um, there was some good twists in the movie. Uh, one of the twists, well, it was a cool take on a um, a cool take on a certain part of uh, the story in terms of a character. It was also kind of kind of meh. Kind of meh. Um, anything else? Um, Scarlett Johansson did brilliant as Black Widow here. Uh, and what I'm assuming is going to be her last go at Black Widow. And if it was, it was a hell of a way to go out, in my opinion. Um... I, I'm not even mad that this movie was delayed so much and, and when it was just kind of last year and came out this year. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, before I go into the spoilers, I'm going to say how I watched this movie. Um, I actually went to my cousin's last weekend and it just came out of nowhere and all of a sudden we were watching Black Widow on Disney Plus with the premiere access or whatever it's called. Didn't go to the theater, just watched it on Disney Plus. My cousin paid the $35 Canadian for it. 
well worth it in my opinion i didn't even pay the money but if i had the money i would pay it but i'm broke right now so i almost want i already want to watch it again quite honestly but i'm not gonna be so yeah i'm really happy to get to see it i know i'm gonna enjoy it more on my second viewing because we had uh some children that were kind of being a little annoying <laughs> at the time of watching the uh the movie um, so on second view, I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy it even more than I did the first. I might get some par little parts that I missed on the first watch through, which will be really enjoyable. I think now is the point where I'm going to transition into talking about spoilers. So I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to split this up right now. So after this little transition, we will go into the Black Widow movie spoilers. Well, you guys had your break. I'll give you a few more seconds. But we are now going into this spoiler review of Black Widow. One of the most anticipated movies, personally, of my lifetime that I have personally experienced. I'm, I can erase that. This is... Mm, that might be a bit too much to say. This is probably top three most anticipated movies, personally, for me. Maybe top five. Definitely top five. Um, but possibly even top three. Uh, most anticipated movie um, movies for me. Um, Black Widow, so fucking good. The first fucking song. So we start off the movie with the family in Ohio. Um, we have Natasha, who has blue hair at the time, her younger sister. Sister in quotes because it's really just a ruse that Red Guardian, the father for this uh, ruse to work and the, the mother i forget her name and then there's natasha the older sister in quotes yelena the younger sister in quotes um uh, we see them escape in ohio um as their um as their um undercover mission comes to an end and this is when the girls end up getting turned into the red room and we end up getting a uh a little um, montage of the Red Room. We don't really delve into the we don't delve into the time period of the Red Room uh, at all in the movie. We just get the little montage of like things that happen to them. It got the point across, in my opinion. Some people probably want more of the backstory and seeing the actual Red Room. I was fine with how it was done personally, but that's mainly because I I I know the Red Room as a comics fan and doing research and everything um there arguably could have been um uh, more backstory by the way talking about backstory i have to say when this movie is set since i didn't specify that in non-spoiler part this movie is set between captain america civil war and avengers infinity war which i thought was the best choice personally i know some people want like uh like before avengers story like a blackwood prequel pretty much but i thought this fit um i thought this fit the best personally because you can't really get the same look as iron man 2 and make it it doesn't look as good and and these these days if you go back that far um sure there's you could have gotten some story out of going back that far and like could have gotten that mission that they talked about with her and clint and whatever um, where he saved her life and blah, 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 but I think this is the best route, uh, we got the, got the, get the family dynamic, 
and it's left it gave us extra and more it gave us extra impact knowing now that uh Natasha's dead which I'll talk about more as we talk about what happens at the end of the movie slash after the end of the movie um but back to the Ohio bit the family blah 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 the first song we hear during this opening part um, which honestly, I wasn't that into the opening part. I, one of the weaker parts of the movie. I didn't think the opening was all that great. But the first song we hear is American Pie playing on the truck radio that they're driving in, which was really good because um, Red Guardian and Yelena kind of seen it as a family, and then it kind of comes into a talk to have later. Really good. Um, really good. Uh, the next song we hear is during the Red Room uh, montage. And it is a, uh, it is a, um, remix. It is a new version of, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Fucking good. I've listened to this song like 10 times since I've watched this movie. I've listened to American Pie like five different times. This new version of Smells Like Teen Spirit, really good. Very dramatic, very, it's slowed down a bit more dramatic. Very good. The soundtrack in this movie is great. Those are the two songs I remember, so I won't be talking about any more specific songs. But damn, the soundtrack in this movie was good. It really was. Um, I already mentioned how great Yelena was and how good Red Guardian was. The mother, meh, whatever. Uh, I now have to talk about Taskmaster. Taskmaster's kind of built as the main villain of the piece, but it turns out... Um, Black Widow is very similar in terms of some story beats to Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, if you've watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, in some ways, um, Taskmaster is built as the main villain, but it's not the main villain, really. The main villain is actually the guy who runs the Red Room, who happens to, who turns out to still be alive. Uh, even though Natasha claims he was dead and we quickly learn he's really not dead, uh, we do learn, though, in the process, and this comes back into the Taskmaster twist, that when Natasha fought, she killed the leader of the Red Room, whose name I can't necessarily remember. I think it starts with an I. I, Ivan Ivo, I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry. Um, he... His name doesn't really matter. His role is what matters. Um, through all that, Natasha used his daughter to get to him and did end up killing her, his daughter. And that uh, comes into the twist of Taskmaster is actually the leader of the Red Room's daughter. And not the Taskmaster we know from the comics, which is a great twist yet at the same time. Kind of makes Taskmaster a weaker Taskmaster. Um, Taskmaster was actually... Taskmaster is actually very badass in this movie, I will say. I love this Taskmaster and hate it at the same time. Because Taskmaster is weakened by the fact that Taskmaster in the comics... Um, mimics mimics the fighting styles and everything by eidetic memory or whatever... And in the movie, Taskmaster relies on uh, technology and the built-in technology into the helmet to replicate and mimic the moves. And does it isn't a brain thing. It isn't. It isn't as impressive. 
Um, but also it makes sense with the state of this Taskmaster being who it is because this Taskmaster is very fucked up. Um, and his scar and this Taskmaster, the daughter's being controlled by a chip. Her father had implanted, excuse me. He um, brought, he got her back into a condition that she could live, like not necessarily resurrected her, but got her back in the workshop, implanted chip, and is in control of um, his own daughter and has made his own little taskmaster to do the dirty jobs that he himself cannot. And it is a very good twist, yet a little bit of a disappointing take on Taskmaster. But honestly, it's it works. It does work. It does work. I know I'm kind of shitting on it a bit, but it honestly I I think it was it it was a fine direction to go. It works for the world they're in. Um personally, I think the problem for me kind of lies I don't know if it necessarily needed to be Taskmaster the character. It, it probably could have worked as somebody different, but I'll take it for what it is. It's um, I'm I'm honestly happy Taskmaster got it got an adaptation. So whatever, um, but yeah, that's the deal on Taskmaster and Black Widow. What else happened? Um, of course the the did the, the, we do get a ha well we don't actually get a happy ending, but we do get a happy ending in terms of the main story of the movie as um the leader of the Red Room and his underlings are, like, all killed. The daughter ends up being saved. The chip is knocked out. So, the big thing about this movie is there's the serum that was created that gets the uh, Red Room, um, the widows of the Red Room out of their um, mental hypnosis to follow the orders of the leader um, that has been inflicted on the group since um, Natasha's... Um, so the serum helps get them out of it and the daughter was under that serum as how she was being controlled too and she ends up being saved and the rest of the widow widows that we see left um are all saved and they leave off uh, with uh red guardian and the mother as well um so we get a happy ending and that's the leader and the other ones are killed and the widows are the widows that are there are all saved we are left with Yelena. Yelena is left with the key to save the rest of the, the, rest of the widows out in the world uh, with the serum from Natasha. She's given the job because Natasha takes the fall. Um, uh, at the end of this, um, she takes the fall um, and lets the others escape while she deals with uh, General Ross and the others because this is after Civil War and they're after Natasha for going against the Sokovia Accords. Um, so that's kind of a running theme for the movie as well. Um, so she... Um, this pretty much, as far as we know, is the last time Natasha sees her family and she um, she uh, saves them from imprisonment, any of imprisonment themselves. Yelena's given a bigger mission, which hopefully is expanded on. Maybe not. Maybe it'll pretty much happen off screen. Um... Widow's left in a pretty good spot before they uh, leave while Widow gives Yelena the bigger mission of helping the rest of the Widows out. Yelena gives um, Natasha that vest that has pretty much become a meme now. The vest that Black Widow wore all throughout Infinity War was 
Yelena's fest and Yelena gave it to Natasha and Natasha were all the time after Yelena gave it to her and now we have a deeper meaning behind the fest and that familiar connection and that was a great touch and it gave deeper story and meaning to stuff in Infinity War great great stuff um some people argued this movie should have come out before Infinity War and I'm going to go into why I think it was or between it was either before Infinity War between like it should come in a period that it, the movie, it's set in or it was either that or between the last two Avengers I think it was the first one I think it came out at the right time because it gave more impact to this movie gave more impact to Natasha's death uh, knowing the familiar connection that she did have even though if they weren't her actual family we actually, speaking of Natasha's family, we do learn about her actual biological mother and learn that the leader of the Red Room had her killed because she didn't actually abandon Natasha. She actually kept trying to find Natasha, so she eventually had to be killed. Um, so it all ends, and then we have... I can't remember if this is technically in. I think this happens in the post-credits. Uh, this happens in the uh, mid credit scene. Um, we get Yelena Belova at the, uh, tombstone in a, in a graveyard at the tombstone of Natasha. And she is met by the woman that is in Falcon Winter Soldier. And I haven't watched that show yet, so I don't know her name. I haven't watched any of the Disney Plus shows yet, which they are going to be future topics on this show, by the way, if you hadn't figured that. I may even do fins where I go back and rewatch um, some superior movies and stuff and review them on here as well but we will see um so Elena is at the Elena's um is paying respects to Natasha um and the lady shows up and then they talk about how they know who is the blame for Natasha's death and it shows None other than Clint Barton. So this is a lead up for more to come for Elena. Um, I'm guessing this might lead into the Hawkeye show coming this fall, but I'm not completely sure. I don't know if there's a future movie plan for Elena in like a Black Widow two or something, or if it's just gonna be show material with Hawkeye and maybe some other stuff to come. But um, it is a very exciting um, cliffhanger for sure. Um. I haven't really thought about a rating system, but I think I'm gonna, um, I think I'm gonna do a rating system of, uh, a five-star rating system, and if I was to rank Black Widow, I would probably give it, some of you might laugh at me giving it, uh, rating so high, it wasn't a perfect movie, and I'm willing to acknowledge that, I did highly enjoy it. Realistically, it's between a 4 and a 4.5 for me. Realistically, I should probably give it a... F Realistically, I don't know if it deserves more than the 4, but for the fact that I finally got a Black Widow movie and I enjoyed it as much as I did when I reasonably couldn't have, um, and there really wasn't that much I had to complain about it. Like, I really did highly enjoy... I love this movie. Um... I think I'm I'm personally, and a lot of people will probably laugh at this and disagree that I'm giving it too high a rating. I'm gonna give Black Widow a four point five out of five stars, and that is just 
that is just the RJ rating. That that is not good. That is the. That is the. That that's just how it is. That's just my opinion, and um, yeah, um, Black Widow was a woozy of a movie. It was great. A doozy is the better word. Doozy of a movie gave more meaning to Natasha's death. Was set in a good time period. Um, gave life to new characters that are really good between Red Guardian and Yelena. Even Taskmaster, while I don't fully agree with the decisions behind Taskmaster, I actually do appreciate how badass this Taskmaster is. Even if um, the premise is not as badass, the character is still badass. Um, the cast in this movie is brilliant. A good soundtrack. A great send-off for Natasha Romanoff as a character. Assuming this is the last time we see her. And I have not much more to say about this movie. Um, very happy to see it as early as I did, like two days after it came out. So grateful to have seen it. So grateful to have been able to talk about it. And it got, it got a 4.5 out of 5 star rating on the new Epic Scale. That's what I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it the Epic Scale. So yeah. Anyway, guys. This is the parts where I'm now going to, you guys are going to hear a new transition that you haven't heard yet in the episode. And we are going to go into the outro for this episode. And I'm going to tease you with what is to come in the next episode. So I will see you there. We are now at the tail end of the premiere episode of That Comic Show. And I have to say, I highly enjoyed this, and I'm very excited to record future episodes. I plan to make this a weekly thing. There may every so often be some bonus episodes in between. So as of right now, this is a weekly show, like I mentioned near the start, this will be, you will get a new episode every Saturday. Um, that could change. I might change the day. This was not the day I had planned. I kind of wanted to do it either on a Friday or a Monday is what I had planned. I was going to do it yesterday on a Friday, but I got pushed back a little bit for the debut episode. I might transition this into being a Monday show or even maybe a Sunday show. Um, either that or I will keep this main show on um, Saturdays and I might do a secondary show in between episodes. Uh, where I talk about some of the FOC comics coming out on the uh, FOC list and talk to you guys about what's coming out um, and what you may have interest in picking up. Although I might also not do that because I know another guy who's starting up a podcast slash YouTube show soon who um, I think has similar plans and I might just join his show and which if I do, I will promote it on here. Um, anyway, this is the part where I'm supposed to wrap up the show. I don't even know... I don't really have an official outro for the show yet. I'm so used to my YouTube outro. Uh, I'm going to have to switch it up here. Not knowing yet if this is going to make it to YouTube. Um, I will leave you with a teaser of what's to come in the next episode. Um, I don't have all the segments planned out yet. But the next episode, the main theme of the next episode is we're going to look at... We're going to look at DC Future State. And I'm going to talk about and rank... All 24 of the Future State titles from the 
from January, February, and leftover uh, third issue, versus Imperius Lux in March. I'm going to rank all 24 future state titles for you and talk about them and what was good, what was bad, what could have used more work, um, who knocked it out of the park, who surprised me with having a good title. We're going to talk about everything future state, um, what was good, uh, why I overall enjoyed it, um, some of the stuff I had to dredge through. It's an episode dedicated to Future State with some of the uh, weekly segments we'll delve into. Like what I'm reading, it will depend on what I read over the next week. And the comic spotlight will probably be something different, but we will see. Um, but next episode, I kind of tried to tease it for the episode. It is all Future State. And I'm very excited to record the next episode, honestly. Um, I, uh, over this next week, I have to put together the list, the ranking list of, from least favorite to favorite of what, where Finn's ranked on that list for future state titles, and that is going to be very tricky, um, but yeah, so, it's been fun, and now it is time, I suppose, that I bid you all do. um, this was a great debut episode, I really enjoyed this. I'm sorry for the awkwardness that hurts, but this is my first episode. I promise I will try to be better as time goes along. I really hope you guys enjoyed the first episode of this podcast. Um, I don't know how this is going to perform yet, but I, I have hope in this project. I really want to make this a thing, and I'm hoping I can get this to YouTube and maybe some other um, platforms as well as time goes along. I really hope you enjoyed this. And I hope you tune in for the next episode of that comic show. And when you do, I will see you there. I appreciate the listen, folks. And I hope to see you on the next one. Peace out.